I wonder if we review our lives at the end of this lockdown period and we look back on them and we think, what did we do more during lockdown than we did before? And maybe what do we wish we had done more of? For us as a family, we've certainly been doing more walks. I've shared that with you before. But looking back, I, I wish we'd actually done more board games together. There's one board game in particular which has become a bit of a favourite in our house over the past few years, and it's the game of life. You probably know it, uh, you probably have played it at some point, um, but there's this variation now that, that incorporates, um, well, it's suited towards younger children, which is great, so it means that as a family you can play it. For those that are not familiar, the purpose of the game of life is to navigate your way from start to end, dealing with the various stages of life like studying and employment, uh, marriage, children, house, holidays, all these things, until you get to retirement. For some reason, they opted to finish the, the game at retirement. Maybe not a bad thing in that regard. Apart from the occasional detour in this game, there it's quite a, a rigid path set round the board. And that makes sense. Every board game has a rigid path that you work your way around. And there is one set of rules to follow in the game. And again, that makes absolute sense, because if you're all playing by different rules, how can you play the game? In some regards, it mirrors real life. You know, growing up, making decisions, always on the move towards retirement or... <laughs> beyond retirement. But in some respects, it's nothing like real life, especially when you think about it from a Christian perspective. Because whilst we all have a set of, of guidelines that shape how we live through life, we're increasingly finding ourselves somewhat at odds with the rules of the game of real life. If we're honest as well, the rules of the game of real life are constantly shifting and changing. Not just with each passing generation, but, but actually at an increasingly rapid rate. Even within the generation, things are shifting dramatically. Now we understand the value of, of having a set of guidelines in a game that helps every player to find their place and to flourish in the game, all working towards the same ultimate goal. But, but in a world where the rules are constantly shifting or are different for every individual, it makes playing the game of life, real life, increasingly challenging. Quite stressful, actually, and, and we might say near impossible. One other thing that I have been trying to do more over lockdown is read. I became totally jaded with the idea of reading after my theological studies. One of the joys of doing distance learning is that you're just constantly reading. Everything was by PDF or by text. And so it took me about a year to get over that 
But now I'm back on the bookworm bandwagon, as it were. I've been reading books, uh, lots of different kinds of books, but recently books about understanding our current culture, how Christianity and culture are changing, and how the church fits into that. So it's nice, light reading. Actually, when you find the right books, it's actually quite nice, light reading. It can be quite enjoyable if the book is written well. And I've found two books um, that that are written well. They're very uh, readable, but also very uh, contemporaneous, very, uh, very relevant to where we are right now. I've got these two books on the go. They're almost finished. One is on progressive Christianity. Uh, it's called Another Gospel by uh, Zoe Girl singer Alisa Childers. And the other is on Christianity and culture, called Cross and Culture by Carol Malberg. Now, these are brilliant books on how we've got to the place we are today as, as a secular culture, as secular government in the West, and also it touches on the shifting uh, nature of, of contemporary church. If I could recommend one book for now beyond the Bible, it would be this cross and culture text. It's a really timely topic. Living and finding our feet in today's world seems, I would say, to be increasingly difficult for everyone, not just for Christians. The opinions we hear day in, day out seem to come from often from one of two opposing sides. We're seeing that polarisation, aren't we, across things even beyond politics, just into general life. This constant state of debate and argument. It's increasingly hard to raise our heads above the parapet and speak to the issues of our day because people will automatically assume that we're either on one side or on the other. We're either at one extreme or another extreme. We're lacking nuance, aren't we, in in how we see life and issues. Some of the biggest questions of our time as Christians as well relate to all of this. How do we as Christians exist and have influence in an increasingly secular society? How, How do we as Christians engage with and have influence on an increasingly secular government? And how do we convey to everyone the love of God as as seen uh, in the moments in which Christ willingly dragged his cross up that hill towards Calvary and he willingly allowed the nails to be driven into his hands and feet so that the people that, that witnessed that and heard about that in future generations that they might choose to receive the forgiveness of their sins through the very act of atoning sacrifice. Lots of big questions for us to ask today (laughs) uh, as Christians. Now, in order to find our feet in this game of, of real life, we need, I believe, to come to our peace with something. And that is the fact that we are strangers in a foreign land, but that we're here for a heaven-sent reason. And most importantly, we're not on our own on this journey. I would propose that Joshua had this realisation. As he drew near to Jericho, as he was walking out the, the call of God on his life, and he drew near to Jericho, he was about to enter it. What happens in this moment? Well, let's turn to Joshua chapter 5. 
We'll look at 5 and we'll look at verses 13 to 15. Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. It says, When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua approached him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. I have now come as commander of the Lord, the Lord's army. Then Joshua bowed with his face to the ground in homage and asked him, What does my Lord want to say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did that. You know, in many regards, we, we just, we're just like Joshua today. In a sense, we're trying to live out our call of God in what at times can feel like a, a hostile environment. And it's in this moment that we need to be confronted by the angel and asking him, are you for us or are you for them? It's in that moment that we need to hear his response. What is his response to Joshua? He says, neither. And you might think your response to that might be, uh, I'm sorry, pardon? What was that? Neither. I'm here to do the work of the Lord. And so take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. You know, in today's polarised culture, there is a call, I believe, for us to empty ourselves of all of our preconceived ideas. All those ideas that have been shaped, in essence, by the very culture in which we've grown up. And, and once again, in bowing low to the ground, on our knees, we speak the words, What does my Lord want to say to his servant? You know, that takes us back, as we've been mentioning over the past number of weeks, once again to daily reading of God's word. God's word being God's will for humanity and, and doing it under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We speak the words, speak for your servant is listening. There's also been a huge debate, a fierce debate growing around how the church should position itself and posture itself with government, not just with uh, culture and community, but with government. This has been happening in Scotland, but also across all the nations of the world. And there's nothing new in this, but, but with this significant shift towards a secular society and a secular government, with this shift towards that, the church has struggled to find its feet. How do we define a secular culture and secular government? Well, it's in a sense whilst still living out the principles of a Judeo-Christian ethic, because our, our, our heritage is Judeo-Christian, the government is no longer governed, or the society is no longer governed intentionally by faith-based perspective, or, or by a God that is beyond time, space, and the natural realm. So how does a church find its feet in that kind of space? Well, I think now at, at the very best, it's perceived as one voice amongst many rather than what it should be, and that is 
a central voice in the shaping of culture. I think we've seen that over the past year, that actually the church has not been the, the dominant or the strong voice that it could have been throughout all that has happened. We've seen this not just over the past year, but obviously over a number of years as culture has shifted. And we see in things like, for example, the government's attempt to convey honour and value to all people, irrespective of how they choose to live. We've also seen it, of course, recently with regards to the government's response to COVID. And what we're seeing is that there have been differences of opinion between the church and the state. No real surprise there, I think, if we're being honest, because the way the secularist sees the world is, is significantly different to how a Christian sees it. To a secularist, on the basis that there is no God in that worldview, decisions on how to define right and wrong, good and evil, um, and, and the best way forward is down to the very best that people can come up with. If you contrast that with the Christian worldview, the defining of right and wrong, of good and evil, and the, be the, the best way forward for humanity, this comes not from the very best of, of humans thinking, but it comes from the source beyond humanity itself, to the God who existed before the foundation of the earth. Therefore, just as we approach our interactions with the people of our community by, by first bowing low to the ground and asking God, what does my Lord want to say to his servant? We likewise need to do this when we, when we interact with government, when we seek to understand and discern God's perspective on how we interact with government. We need to bow down low and say, what does my Lord want to say to his servant? as to how we interact with government. And discernment, I think, is one of the most important things we need to walk in at this time. We're going to look at our next portion of scripture, and I want to encourage us to look beyond the surface reading of this next text, because there, there is a depth to it which will help us understand what Paul is trying to teach the people. It's in Romans chapter 13, and it's verses 1 through to 4. So let's read that. Just now, Paul is writing to the Romans, uh, the church in, in Rome, and he says the following words. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, the avenger, that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. On the surface, what does this passage tell us? It tells us that the principle of governments and authorities is from God. 
But not just that, it also implies that every government is permitted to exist by the will of God. It also tells us that governments and authorities, in principle, are there for what purpose? To be champions for good conduct and a terror against the bad. It is, in fact, the avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Now, we rightly use this scripture to celebrate the principle of good government in a fallen creation. But there's a risk that we don't go beyond the surface level reading of this text and actually ask questions of these verses so that we actually understand what Paul is trying to say. The biggest question we need to ask of this text, and it will help us to understand how we as church position ourselves with government today, is how do we define good? As Romans 13 mentions, the government is there not for those that, uh, as a terror, not to good conduct, but to bad conduct. So how do we define good? And more importantly, who defines what is good and what is evil? Now, there are actually, I would suggest, four possible answers to this question in today's world, certainly. There is, so who, who defines good? The current government, that's option A. Option B, with the current culture. Option C, God and God's word, or option D, a mix of all three. And I would propose that we're in the place and time now where we're seeing, actually, a mix of all three. All three, because we have a government with an ideology, we have a culture with an ideology, and we have a church with an ideology. And so we're seeing a mix of all three as we, as we still see remnants of this Judeo-Christian culture that has been so dominant for so long. We're still living in, in something of a Christian society, but it's being steadily removed. As Karl Marburg says in the book Cross and Culture, it's like a pale reflection of the kingdom of God, but without the king. A secular government and a secular society will always work its way free of God because it's working towards defining everything on its own terms. That's what secularism does. It works its way free of God and works its, its own agenda and perspective to become the, the dominant one. Now, the early apostles lived in a culture that was significantly different to the one that they were being tasked with creating and championing. The definition of good at that time, at the time of the first, second and third centuries, was locking up Christians. There were periods where it was, it was good to lock up Christians who dared to rock the cultural boat. It was for the good of society, that the Christians should be silenced, even imprisoned and, and killed by the government and authorities of the day. But was that God's definition of good? It may have been the government or authorities' definition of good in that moment, but was that God's definition of good? We see in, in Acts chapter 4 and 5, Great examples of how to read Romans 13 properly. 
when Peter is taken before the governing authorities of the day and told that for the good of the current order that he must remain silent. Acts chapter 4, verses 18 to 20. So they called for them. This is the governing authorities called for, for Peter and, and John. Uh, uh, they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And chapter 5 gives a similar response. We see in Acts chapter 5 verses 18 to 20 as well, a fascinating little uh, encounter that Peter has with an angel, which again helps us to understand Romans chapter 13. Chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. What we see here is that the, the, the ruling authorities of the day, that is the Jewish authorities who were given uh, that authority by the Roman government, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. Well, hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to preach, verse 21 as well. What we see here in Acts chapter 5, verse 18 to 21, is that when the governing authorities determined that it was good to lock Peter and John up, the angel led them out against the wishes of the governing authorities. That God's definition of good was at odds with the ruling authorities of the day. In a sense, the culture we're moving into is not much different from the first few centuries of the church. From our Revelation studies, we remember this. When, when Rome was happy, for everyone to do their own thing as long as it didn't offend everyone else. You see, you could worship your own gods freely as long as you didn't try to claim that your God was the only true God. And that's what in large part caused Roman persecution of the early church was people taking that stand against the cultural voice of the day. And today we're seeing similar reality. It isn't the same kind of gods as it was back then, but it is becoming the same kind of culture. Today's gods are, are ideologies, ways of, of thinking. You can think whatever you want as long as you don't try to push back against the current culture's way of thinking, which seems like a total contradiction in terms, and it is. That isn't to say, though, it's important for us to emphasise that not every secular government is intent on evil. It's fair to say that the best intention of, of many governments is to try to promote the well-being of its citizens, remember, in a secular mindset, try to promote the well-being of their citizens, to try to ensure their citizens live out a long and full life. But in the Christian worldview, when we look at that notion that I think a lot of secular governments do try to live out by their policies, there's something missing, something significant missing in that. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 1. My son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands, for they will bring you many days 
a full life and well-being. God has been removed from the equation. The foundation upon which people can live that life of of many days, well-being and fullness comes through keeping God's, God's word, God's commands, God's teachings. So the question that I posed at the start, how do we live in today's culture and under today's government? Why have we taken time to consider this this morning? Because I believe that once we understand, once we discern the culture we're in and the government that we're living under, we can live Christ-like lives in those spaces. Knowing that obedience is not determined by culture or government, but rather our obedience is determined by what God has revealed in his word. And, And most importantly, To live in this time and in this space, we have to know how to pray. We have to know how to pray. Romans 13 encourages the people of God to live uh, godly lives in in amongst their culture and government. And and what we see, Paul emphasises this if we look at 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy and we look at chapter 2, verses 1 through to four. How do we live our lives in contemporary secular culture and government? First of all then, here's what Paul says, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and it pleases God, our Saviour, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. What is our call today? Our call is to pray. Our call is to understand how God defines good and evil and to pray that our kings, our authorities, our rulers, our society will come to understand what God defines as good and evil and that they may be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So this is our call today, to pray, to pray for our our government, to pray for our culture and to say, God, help me discern, help me to see clearly, God, what your voice is in our culture. Help me to discern and understand what your voice is for our government. That when we are invited by government to do what you define as good, God, we walk in step with that. But when our government invites us, encourages us or compels us to do that which they believe to be good but you say is evil, Father, that we discern the difference and we stand for you. Father, we need your help today like never before. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' mighty name.